Okay, guys, uh, grab your Bibles now and go with me to Matthew chapter 16. And as promised, <laughs> guys, what is unfolding today is a plan that has been in place for at least six months. Uh, all that you're seeing out there in terms of changes in the lobby and all of this just reconfiguration of the front of Grace Van, all of this is culminated today in a series of sermons that is about to begin on the church. Now, if what I say to you sounds a bit familiar, it should. I preached this very same sermon on Matthew on May the 18th. Uh, and I told you then, that. and by the way, I preached it then, do you remember, uh, saying, because I wanted to introduce this book, I wanted you to get a book to take to Destin with you so that you could read it across the summer and and um, why I love the church, that book. And uh, if you haven't read it, you can still, I mean, it's still well worth reading. Um, and I, I wish you would because it's going to be front and center uh, in a lot of ways in grace groups, uh, but it's going to be front and center in the pulpit for, and not that so much that book, but the whole issue of the church will be for the next few weeks. So. With that in mind, you follow as I read once again uh, a text beginning in verse 13 of Matthew 16. Um, I'll read through verse 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, ladies and gentlemen, endures forever. This word endures forever. Now, guys, um, if you have been around the Protestant world very long, you know uh, at least a little bit about this is a very controversial text. There's a bunch of controversy contained in what I just read you. Uh, For instance, the whole issue of Petrine primacy. That means nothing more than Peter's primacy. Did Jesus Christ make Peter the Pope in this passage as according to Rome? Uh, another issue that's in this, this text is the keys of the kingdom. Oh my. What is all that about? What, what is it that he has placed in the hands, in our hands? The keys. What is that? Well, a whole lot of ink has been spilled over that, and it is quite a, quite a debatable and controversial issue. Now, guys, with, with apologies to those of you who um, really enjoy a, 
a theological argument every now and then, uh, I'm going to try to avoid all of that controversy and simply focus your attention on five words out of verse 18. I will build my church. Guys, in the West, the church has fallen on some pretty hard times. Um, there, due to all kinds of factors, but this cultural drift has devalued and diminished the, the importance and the role of the church. Gracie Van is not immune to some of those winds of the culture. And so what I thought I would do, that is before you box me up and show me the door, I, I thought it might be wise to address some of these issues um, in, in the hopes that we might not only see the issues, but where correction is needed, uh, correction be made. So, what I'm doing in this, at least this morning, is that I'm drawing your attention to five words. I will build my church. That's it. And I'm going to treat it this way. I'm going to treat it backwards. I have three points, and I'm, my points are backwards. That is, I will build my church. My church is, is point one. Build is point two. And I will is point three. So we're going to take those five words, look at them from back to front as we introduce this whole um, issue and whole uh, series on the church. So let's take this first one. I will build my church. That's point one, my church. The church is the personal possession of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls the church his. This thing called the church is so valuable, so highly valued, that it was acquired by nothing short of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You know, guys, um, we sing a song around here. In fact, if you were raised in church, you were probably raised with this song. Uh, it's a hymn. It's found in your hymnal. Um, it's uh, 347. <laughs> but um, uh, the, the name of the hymn is The Church is One Foundation. The church is one foundation. is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. Now listen to this. From heaven he came and sought her. To be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life he died. How many times have you sung that across the years of your life? Now, guys, um, let me make sure you understand this. I don't get my truth from the hymn book. I get my, my truth from this book. But what I just sang you is perfectly consistent with what's in this book. For instance, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. Hmm. Here's another one. This is the one I really love. This is in Acts chapter 20 where Paul is saying goodbye to the, uh, the elders at the Ephesian, in the Ephesian church. They're standing on the shore and they're, you know, they're crying and they're about to say goodbye and they'll never see him again and all this. And this is what he says to the elders at, at, um, of the Ephesian church. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church which he purchased with his own blood. Uh, I think you find the same theme found in um, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. All, all I'm saying, guys, is what I sang you out of the hymn is perfectly consistent and taught numerous places in the New Testament. The church is Jesus' um, personal possession, and she became his possession by the spilling of his blood. She was acquired at the, at the paying of a price, and that price being the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in light of that fact, I have a question for you. How has that which is the personal possession of Jesus Christ bought and paid for with his own blood, how is it that that has fallen into such disfavor, particularly among those people who say that they love this Jesus? Guys, that thing, the church, about which it was once said, apart from her there is no salvation. How has that become the object of ridicule and scorn, um, particularly among the young? Guys, there's, a, um, there's an increasing disenchantment with um with the institution with the institutional church again especially among the young um they consider her an anachronism with really no relevance for our age she's a um she's a vestigial appendage one which we can live without um guys i can understand I, I, I really can understand why the non-Christian world doesn't give a flip about the church. What I don't understand is how people who say that they love and belong to this Jesus could so devalue that which is his prized possession. Now, how did we get here? How did this happen? What brought us to this place where, where, the, where the church has fallen into such, disf- such disfavor? Well, I'm sure there's numerous reasons. I'm sure there's lots and lots of reasons. But I want to mention four or five to you. Just as all I'm giving you is possible explanations as to how and why the church has become so devalued. Uh, just five suggestions. First of all, 
One of them might be nothing more than a lack of information or, or sheer ignorance. I simply did not know that the church was supposed to be this important. Because, you see, my culture told me that the church was discardable. You know, I'll be fine with an occasional God cast. Um, I have all, everything that I need. All of, everything I need is available to me in an occasional digitized spirituality. So, so, in essence, the church has fallen on hard times because, the, because of the technological age in which we live. Technology has rendered the church obsolete. She has, she has passed into disuse. Now tell me, do you really think that something for which Jesus Christ died is passe, that she has outlived her usefulness? Here's a second possible explanation as to how we got where we are. Um... I can summarize it in one two-letter word, me. A culture of me. A little over a year ago, um, in May of 2013, so 15 months ago, Time Magazine ran a front, the front page article. I mean, the, 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 the lead article in Time Magazine, May 13th, 2013, um, is an article written by Joel Stein. And I don't know who Joel Stein is, but he wrote this article. And, and the, the front cover of Time Magazine had this on there. I saw it. Um, me, me, me. The millennial generation. Um, it was about this, this upcoming generation who they labeled the me generation and her views of everything, including the church. Now, I want to read to... I, just a. It's not even a sentence, but I want to read you the description of the millennial generation, not by me. This is a quote from Joel Stein in the, in the Time Magazine article. He described the millennials, by the way, millennials are people who were born sometime between 1985 and 2005. That's what they consider a millennial. Um, this is how he describes them. Lazy, entitled, Selfish narcissists who still live with their parents. Narcissistic disorder. It's not so much, or the key characteristic is not so much selfishness as it is autonomy. I want no one telling me no to anything. Oh, we want God, just not the institution. The thought is that the church squelches my individuality by, by being contrived and controlling and authoritarian, not, not to mention boring and irrelevant. Um, back this, back March of this year, uh, what is that, uh, five months ago, I, I ran across this, this comic strip in the Commercial Appeal, which is the local newspaper for those of you who've never heard of it. Um, it, it was a comic strip. Uh, it was a Peanuts uh, uh, cartoon strip. And it had four frames to it, four frames uh, in living color. And the first frame was Charlie Brown saying to Lucy, and right after church next Sunday, we're all going on a picnic. And second frame, Lucy says in reply, 
I didn't know your family belonged to a church. Third frame, sure, doesn't yours? Fourth frame, Lucy says, they used to. Now they belong to a coffee house because Starbucks is hip. Um, in, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, there is a book that you can purchase. I hope you won't, but there's a book that you can purchase entitled The Gospel According to Starbucks. What the millennial is looking for, according to Joel Stein, is a personal church of the individual. Now, by the way, lest the rest of us become too smug, in that article, he refers to another book that I chased down and, and read a bit of. It's, um, its author is Tony Jutt, J-U-D-T, and uh, the title of that book is Ill Fares the Land. And in that book, uh, Tony Jutt makes a compelling argument um, demonstrating that there is a causal link between the individualism of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Oh, you remember those days, don't you? The days of wine and roses. The days of Woodstock. Hippies and LSD. He says that there is a direct causal link between the generations of those three decades or the individualism of those three decades and the hyper-individualism of today. So, before we look down our noses too askance at the millennials, you need to remember this. They're just doing what we taught them. Here's a third possible explanation as to how we got where we are. Um, time. Um, no time. That is, what with all the demands of raising children and a career, you know, I just can't quite squeeze it in. In our home, Sunday has become the new Saturday. Now, now guys, of course we all know, don't we? That we do what we deem necessary. Um, we, we find time to do those things that we define as needed. So to play the time card is to beg the question. This question. Is church necessary? Or let me, let me ask it a, a different way. Tell me, how many things are more important to you than the church? Three? Six? Ten? Well, let me ask you this. How many more things are more important to Jesus than the church? None. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. And for that, we have no time. Here's a fourth possible explanation, and, 
and, and this one really scares me. And I'd like for you to see it. If you've still got your Bibles open, if you can find Mark 4 real quick. This is a statement that Jesus makes when he's telling the parable of the four soils. You remember the sower goes out to sow and he sows his seed on this soil and that soil and the other soil and yada, 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 yada. Well, this is in that parable. And it has to do with the thorny ground. I'm in Mark chapter 4. I just want to read you two verses out of 18, 18 and 19. Mark 4, 18 and 19. Jesus is, is talking. He's interpreting his parable. And he says in verse 18, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. Here we go. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Guys, one of the possible explanations for the devaluing of the church is our own prosperity. That is, that we have so many more options. We have so many more toys. We have so many more hobbies that distract us. May I say this? If your prosperity has become the thing that has distracted you from the church, then, my dear friend, you've got the wrong God. This God never denounces wealth. No, no. But he does denounce the love of it. Guys, I'm sure there are other reasons that I could come up with, a lot of reasons that I could, um, explanations as to how, why we come to this place in the 21st century. Um, But my only point that I'm trying to make is, um, we devalue, or, or at least we're nonchalant, about what Jesus Christ highly values. We've unfriended what belongs to him. We've, we've dispossessed his possession. Gang, this series of sermons is, is not about your church. It's about the church. This, this, this series of sermons is not about church attendance. It's about your loves. Gang, um, th- that brings me really to my fifth possible explanation. I saved it for this point because it gives me a, sec- a segue into my second point. But, but th- this is my, this is the fifth possible explanation. Um, I've been hurt. That is, I, I have given up on the church because I've been hurt. Which, as I said, brings me to my second point. Remember, we're, we're looking at the text backwards, back to front. I will build my church. I will build. So let me address this thing about the church hurt me. Guys, Jesus says, I will build. The church is something that Jesus Christ is building. The church is a construction project. It's a construction site. It, it is still, the church is still under construction. Gang, have you ever been to a construction site? I mean, they're not only messy, they're, you know, they can be filthy, that, you know, you got, you got all kinds of, um, 
uh, you know, ugly things around there. There's, there's, there's trash, there's tools, there's rusty nails, there's dirt and disorder. You know, guys, we've been living in a construction project for about the last two months here. We could hardly stand the dust. It was just, you know, all of this, <coughs> these building materials everywhere. You know, a construction project can be downright ugly. And on occasion, it can even be dangerous. In fact, it is a law of the state of Tennessee, and I think of the country, that in a construction project, you got to wear one of these. Why? Well, because construction sites can be dangerous. Guys, Jesus said, I will build. The church is a construction site. She is not a finished product. Whoever told you that she was, she is under construction. It is a work in progress. And she can be downright ugly. And at times, even dangerous. Folks, those of you in the pews and those of us in the pulpits, we are all works in progress. We are unfinished. For you to expect perfection out of either of us, either those in the pew, those in the pulpit, or or the whole thing, is downright naive. You expect something that you yourself cannot give. Oh, I, I, I dropped out of church because the whole thing is so broken. Yeah. And what did you expect from a room full of broken people? And my friend, you are a part of the brokenness. You know, St. Augustine called the church, I love this. He called the church at Corpus Permixtus. It's a Latin phrase which means a mixed body, a mixed bag. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Do you know that sitting in this room this morning are people who are ex-alcoholics? There's some some divorced people in this room. There's um, There's some egomaniacs in this room. There's some um there's some ex-druggies. There's some Pharisees. Now, if you'll give me long enough, I will eventually specify your specific um, area of brokenness. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we're all broken. And I, for one, am glad that there is a place where my brokenness does not disqualify me. People disillusioned with the church, hurt by the church, disappointed by the church. What on earth did you expect from a building project? Do you, do you think that angels are in charge here? Guys, there are no finished products. No finished products in this place. We're all under construction. Jesus is building. And by the way, let me just add this too. Guys, there is a biblical guarantee 
that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But there is no biblical guarantee that the gates of hell would not be unleashed against the church. So, buckle up. But again, guys, how does any of that explain our indifference to the very thing that Jesus said he would build? Are you only willing to value that which is perfected? I sure am glad God isn't. Something to which Jesus is committed to build. I am not. In, in, in fact, I'm ready to dump it or ignore it or, you know, devalue it. All right in the face of the one who we call our Savior who died for her? Would you tell me how that adds up? Because it doesn't. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, it borders on insanity. The church is never to become the object of our devotion. Yes. But indifference? My allegiance is not to the church. It's to Christ Jesus. But that Christ Jesus is building his church. And I am going to be a vital part of it. As vital a part as he will allow me to be. And ladies and gentlemen, soccer games and golf outings and ski trips and headaches and baseball tournaments and SEC football and Pickwick, they are not going to stop me. And if they get in the way, they have to go. My friends, you who are parents, you're going to have to make some pretty hard calls. Here's the third point, and it's the briefest. Jesus says, I will. I will build my church. He, he, he says, I will. He doesn't say, I will try, or I hope to build, or I wish I could build, or I sure hope this all turns out all right. No. He says, I will build my church. And he who created the heavens and the earth is committed to build the church. He is so serious about building the church that he took the responsibility out of the hands of men and placed it into the hands of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. And thus, ladies and gentlemen, it will get done with you or without you. But if he is up to something, that I choose to opt out of. Then my dear friend, 
I think you need to look once again at what you call your salvation. Um, instead, we ought to be asking, how can I have the privilege of being involved in what you're up to? I want to read you a quote, and we'll pretty much quit with this and a story. This is a quote from John Stott, um, uh, a name pretty much revered around here, but um, he says this, if the church is central to God's purpose as seen in both history and in the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? No. We shall seek to become responsible church members active in some local manifestation of the universal church. We shall not be able to acquiesce in low standards which fall far short of the New Testament ideals for God's new society, whether it be mechanical meaningless worship services or fellowship that is icy cold, even spoiled by rivalries which makes the Lord's Supper a farce, or inward-looking isolationism as to turn the church into a ghetto which is indifferent to the outside world and its pain. If instead we keep the vision of God's new society as his family his dwelling place, and his instrument in the world, then we shall constantly be seeking to make our church's worship more authentic, its fellowship more caring, and its outreach more compassionate. I'm just going to read two sentences again. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center I'll quit with this. You know, um, I get asked frequently, uh, maybe six, eight times a year, um, people find out I'm a preacher and they say, well, where's your church? And I usually answer like this. I say, well, um, you know where Houston High School is? And they say, yeah. And I say, well, we're right across the street from Houston High School. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that's a bad answer. That's a bad answer to the question. But I, it is the question that they're asking, but it's a bad answer. Here's the way I ought to answer I ought to answer something like this. I ought to say, um, where's my church? Well, it depends on what time of day and which day you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about 10 a.m. Tuesday morning, well, they might be at the bank. They may be at the office. Could be at school. Well, they could be at the grocery store. Um, You know, they might be um, on the golf course. I, I, I don't know. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, the point is this. The church is not this across the street from Houston High School. The church is people. People for whom Jesus Christ shed his blood. And those people are of utmost importance to him. Two questions. Number one, are they important to you? And number two, are you one of them? By faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. 
Our Father, I thank you for the privilege to be a part of a group of people this broken, this inconsistent, this this misguided, because their pastor is equally broken and misguided and inconsistent. And I pray, Lord, together, that you might, by the Holy Spirit of God, using the Word of God, make us into something more consistent, more mature, more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Would you make us into something that gives you pleasure? Would you make us into something that will be your instrument in this world that is crazed by its own sin? Now, Father, if you've led anybody here in, the, in here this morning who has not yet met the Savior, would you open their eyes to see, first of all, they, they have a real sin problem. And it's bigger than they thought. And then cause them to see that there's a Savior for that sin. Do that, O God. We ask it in Jesus' name.